Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. This episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast is presented by Linworks. Discover the ultimate retail power duo, Linworks and Virtual Stock. Linworks streamlines operations. Virtual Stock enables risk-free growth. Combined, they are creating a retail revolution seamless two-way automated commerce to ensure real-time visibility for your business. Visit linworks.com today to learn more. Hello, I'm Carl McKeever, and welcome to the latest in our In Focus series from the Retail Exchange podcast. Channel connectivity is nothing new. Advanced automation is now everywhere. Combine the two, and sales channels will never look the same again. But what does total visibility and control over your inventory, online orders and fulfillment look like? And just how do retailers, big and small, go about effectively streamlining and controlling their entire e-commerce ecosystem? Joining me to discuss this are Rick Kelly, CRO of Linworks, multi-channel software and order management software integration specialists, and Ed Bradley, CEO of Virtual Stock, Europe's largest dropshipping and curated marketplace SaaS platform. We explore why failure to embrace automation leaves retailers and partners vulnerable, how smaller multi-channel retailers can better connect their business to multiple marketplaces, and the emerging solutions that will help deliver a better experience for everyone, from supply chain to shoppers. Here's the episode. So what brings Linworks and Virtual Stock together? Why do you partner with each other and what are the benefits to your customers? Well, we've partnered for the last two years. We just really formalized the relationship even more to go deeper into North America. And so we've done a really good job in EMEA over the last couple of years by sharing some customers and helping them with that journey to work closely to the virtual stock retail customers and having our suppliers and our ecosystem work with his, but we want to take it to the next level. So what we're trying to do here now is not only expand further in EMEA, but have Ed and the team work with my team in North America to expand in North America. The goal here is to drive customer value and become more efficient for those retailers um, with that supplier base that his retailers have. And what would be some practical examples of some of those benefits that customers would get in, in real terms? So the reason that the partnership is important to us is that we have a dropship platform. We're the leading dropship platform in Europe. We have most of the major retailers, certainly in the UK market, but now pushing into Europe, using our platform to expand the range of products that they sell online from a multitude, a big network of dropship suppliers. Those suppliers can process their orders either through connecting with our APIs or they can process orders through our portal itself, through a UI. Now, as range expansion becomes much more of a strategic focus for the retailers. The retailers are pushing those suppliers to become more automated on our platform. So an industry has formed around our platform to go around to the suppliers and and connect them, do some systems integration. And our partner of choice is Linworks. So Linworks offer a number of sales channels being the, the, the main marketplaces, but also they see our platform as a multitude of channels as well because each of our retailers is offering a route to market through their own websites. So we see ourselves as kind of a one-to-many channel and we see Linworks as a many-to-one or or, or the other way around. So we're effectively putting these two platforms together. We have a many-to-many connection. And if I understand that correctly, in very simple terms, you are joining together all of the dots. 
That's right. Yeah, we are. We, we're creating an ecosystem of suppliers and sales channels that can be seamlessly brought together so that suppliers can access many, many different routes to market. It's a very powerful thing. And it's, and it's really the way that the market is going. Suppliers, they just want to they know, how can I get my product out as widely as I possibly can? And retailers are saying, I want to see quality suppliers, and I want to be able to get them on my platform fast. I want to be able to curate the range of products, and I just want to start selling. I don't want to be messing around with spreadsheets and you know, phone calls and all that sort of thing. I just want this network to be active. Essentially, to kind of almost plug and play. Right. Yeah. Exactly. What are some of the key emerging trends in sales channels? Well, we say that there's two ways that a retailer can grow their business. One, they can add customers, or two, they can add products. And so we are seeing a real surge of retailers wanting to increase their product range that they sell online way beyond their physical stock holding, either in store or in their distribution. And, and is that building on this whole kind of marketplace phenomenon that's, yeah. that's taken place? Yeah, exactly. So there's two sort of uh, ways that you can do it. You can uh, open a marketplace or you can have a, an expanded range through dropship. Both have their pros and cons. They are more or less the same from a technical perspective because you're tracking and tracing orders and you've got to manage inventory levels and product data and all of that kind of thing. But Dropship is much more of a curated range of products from a a known selection of suppliers that is carefully hand-selected and the retailer has had a relationship with them and they trust and 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 they grow it that way. The customer is under the control of the retailer at all times with Dropship. With Marketplace, you're opening it up, and it's true to say that Marketplace, you can add many more products much faster, but you've got to be careful not to lose the control of the customer experience. You don't want to just allow sellers to flood your website with products that are going to cannibalize your existing business or degrade your margin or, crucially, degrade your customer experience. That's the real key. So... If you have all those checks and balances in place, you can carefully grow a marketplace. Dropship, we think, is the better place to start if you're going to grow your range because it allows you to keep much tighter control. And how important are kind of brand synergies in all of this so that from a customer perspective, when they're shopping with a particular retailer, they see that there's that connectivity really, the, kind of the, the glue that holds them all together is credible? The way that we see this is the retail brand is still super important. So if you take, for example, a a retailer in the UK called Wix, it it sits very much between a DIY retailer and a a building merchant. It's a specialist trade retailer. Now, if they started stocking garden gnomes and plastic plants and all that sort of thing, they would lose credibility with their core clientele. And if they went too heavy side and started, you know, shipping aggregates, you know, that, that would also change their perception. So they sit in a very, very fragile a, a niche market between those two sectors and they are very well respected now when they're expanding their range online they need to be extremely cognizant that they that they do so in a way that's going to complement their retail brand with products that they are known for and suppliers that they can trust that are going so it's to got to be relevant and appropriate exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. so it's, it's just got to be just got to be a careful balance between chasing the revenue which we Obviously, you know, it's everybody's goal, ultimately. But keeping that identity, brand equity and customer experience. Yeah, because I guess what the customer has, even though they may not necessarily be able to articulate it, they understand the retailer's core purpose or their mission or their inventory position, let's say. So, yeah, very exactly. interesting. Frictionless, it's an overused term, but is it really understood? I think I would turn frictionless into more efficiency-driven and, and being more of a 
better customer journey overall. And so what we're trying to do with virtual stock is really enhance that process with them is, you know, and like he mentioned, dropship is important. Retailers need that. It's a balance sheet issue. And so, and it's a customer serving issue. So when you look at how we are going to be delivering our solutions, it's helping our customers work closely with not only the current channels that are out there today, the Amazons, the Shopify's, and the other ones that are out there. But, it, and we do that in a seamless fashion because we provide over 100 multi-channel sales channels in our platform today. Virtual stock is another one that we can offer to our customers, which is going to make that frictionless, seamless entry into those markets important. So our customers have products they want to sell, and they want to sell them in multiple channels. And we've learned over time that in order to reduce the friction, become more seamless, we got to offer all the capabilities around them, not only from supporting them from a revenue perspective, but also pick, pack, and the labeling and everything that goes along with a dropship perspective. So it's not just selling through a channel, but it's also selling through other channels, such as the retail's brick and mortar also that we see our customers. Because our customer base consists of not only customers that sell online, but they also have brick and mortar. So it's a combination of those things. So we have to support the entire ecosystem. It's often said that visibility will become the key watchword in the months ahead. Why does this matter for everyone involved? Well, I think the friction question and the visibility question go hand in hand. So what you want is, as the supply chain becomes much more complex, as you have many, many more suppliers, all different shapes and sizes of suppliers, big suppliers, automated suppliers, small suppliers, niche suppliers, it becomes very difficult for traditional legacy systems to manage that process. So you have to have a bridge between the communication between the retail set of systems and the supplier's set of systems, no matter what they are and how big they are. So there's a smooth interface. Exactly. Because here's where the friction comes in, right? Most of the calls that come into a retailer's call center are Wismo calls. Where is my order? Every one of those, you can pretty much kiss goodbye to your gross margin because you are, if you're handling one of those calls, you're chasing suppliers, you're trying to find out what's going on, you're trying to get ahead of the customer experience and make it as, as, as good as you possibly can. But that involves activity and cost within the business. So you need to, when did you last phone Amazon, right? They tell you, good news or bad, that this is what's happening with your order right now. So effectively, visibility of the order lifecycle, of inventory levels, and of all of the essential parts of tracking and delivery and returns and cancellations needs to be visible, centralized within one platform, and then needs to be that data needs to be used in two ways. One is real-time communication to the customer as fast as you possibly can. This is what's happening to your order right now. This is where it is. This is when you can expect to get it. And two is retrospective reporting that says, this is what the performance was from that particular supplier, and therefore I know how to grade them now, and I know how to address areas that need to be improved, or I need to kick them off they're not good enough. And the communication, I guess, has to be a fine line in terms of the balance of how you get it right. I mean, I know from personal experience, there's one large UK retailer that I shop with quite frequently, mm-hmm. and it's generally on an e-com basis. To that extent, I will get maybe at least half a dozen emails ahead of receiving the order, mm-hmm. and probably three or four after receiving the order. And I can honestly tell you that by email four, pre-delivery, I'm over it. Right. I've understood what's happening and when it's happening. 
I find then the further reminders irritating at best. Then afterwards, once having got the order, assuming I'm satisfied, then receiving the uh, invitations to feedback on my delivery experience and to rate my delivery experience and all the rest of it. Do you know, I've just checked out of that process. So I don't know whether that's specific to me or whether there's a broader point here around, yes, the customer needs clear and accurate communications to understand what's happening. But actually, there is a danger, perhaps, of getting fatigue into that process as well, where the person just switches off. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're right. You know, there's got to be an optimum level of communication. Our retail customers say to us, I'm not interested in anything that's going right. I just want to know what's going wrong so I can get ahead and I can fix it. So really, that's kind of the same as us as consumers. We want to know whether something's around the corner and it's going to be delivered or it has been delivered. But other than that, we don't really need to know where it is on the road or, with, or whether it's being picked and packed in the distribution center. All that is just white noise. We're just expecting that to happen. But we do want to know when something's going wrong. And we want to know when something's going wrong that's going to materially affect us. If we've taken a Tuesday afternoon off to wait in for a washing machine, and that's not going to arrive on Tuesday afternoon, I want to know. Yeah. And this is, this is the real crucial piece for a retailer. It's okay to tell your customer that washing machine's not going to be there on Tuesday afternoon. It's not okay for the, for the customer to tell you as the retailer, hey, I'm here on Tuesday afternoon, my washing machine's not here, because that is, you're paying the ultimate price as a retailer in that stage, which is the customer will never come back. Yeah, that's the risk factor, isn't it? And as you say, that's also the point where you lose any profit on the transaction. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Retailers, are you tired of juggling multiple platforms and struggling to keep your inventory in check? Meet Linworks the market-leading platform that seamlessly connects your commerce operations to multiple marketplaces. Picture this. Full order management, warehouse management, all in one place, ensuring your inventories are fully under control. Imagine growing your business without breaking the bank. Brace yourself for the ultimate retail power duo, Linworks and Virtual Stock. Together, they provide a two-way, end-to-end, automated workflow between the big brands and their suppliers. That's right, real-time visibility and automated data exchange every step of the way, taking the risk and uncertainty out of the relationship. Retail leaders, if you're not in the know about Linworks and virtual stock, it's time to change that. Visit linworks.com to discover how this dynamic duo can transform your retail game. That's linworks.com your gateway to a streamlined and efficient retail future. What are the biggest problems with the current approaches to effective information exchange across the supply chain? I mean, this is what we're talking about here is, is do you over-communicate, under-communicate? Is the communication accurate? What do you think are some of those biggest challenges? From a retailer perspective, what we're working on is making sure that our customers can communicate to that retailer seamlessly, getting the order information, getting the pick pack, the labeling, and everything like that. So unraveling the spaghetti and ironing out all of the bumps. Yeah, and, it, and the big thing about multi-channel selling and selling into retailers is to make sure they get inventory synchronized across all those channels. If you don't have inventory synchronized across all those channels, you're going to have stockout situations, which is the consumer side. You have a bad experience there. Then 
Then there's SLAs. You have a place with retailers that they expect you to interact with them. To Ed's point, and benchmark at certain SLAs to you know be a good supplier to them because they scorecard you. So our plan, and they could be different for every brand you're working with. They will. They will be a different for every branch. Exactly. So all that feeds into the consumer experience at the end of the day. And so by providing a platform that can provide good information, not just data, but provide good information throughout that journey is what we see as a really important process because at the end of the day, we're trying to help our customers drive online revenue. I mean, that online can come in different facets. And so, and then adhering to SLAs that are in place with the retailer to make sure that they're adhering and they're benchmarked their scorecard properly. And all that drives into a consumer experience. At the end of the day, to Ed's point about the washer, we get orders and we realize we're out of stock because we've oversold one channel versus the other. We didn't do the inventory synchronization right. And that's why the use of Linworks platform is synchronized across multiple channels in one of the channels could be a virtual stock retailer and along with Amazon and Shopify and other ones that we have, they have the ability to synchronize all that to make sure that they can have a good customer experience at the end of the day for all parties involved. Mm, You're essentially taking the pain away. We are taking the bait away and adding into more efficiencies throughout that process too. And so back to the whole question earlier, we're really working with customers to drive efficiency and get more value out of the supply chain from order all the way through delivery, which includes the consumer side also. Yeah, and of course, the more that you can solve some of their headaches, that they can get on with their day job, which might be sourcing new products, more customers, additional brands, whatever. Absolutely. That's where virtual stock is really super interesting to us as Linworks. Um, Big retailers, big brands, we're going to support them because a lot of our customers are SMB customers that are also retailers and e-commerce companies, but they, they feed into the big retailers, and so there's a natural connection there for us. And presumably there's still a number of outdated approaches to information exchange that still exist. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest problem that we see in retail is legacy systems. That's it. It's these systems that retailers operate on now, they, they were designed to get product into store, into distribution centers, to forecast store you know, replenishment, all of that kind of stuff. That's but not great. to an individual postcode. That's right. So, so, so the world moved too fast for the systems to catch up with. So the retailers reacted in a number of different ways. They tried to build things themselves. They get in expensive consultants to kind of try and adapt the legacy system to compensate. But really what we see is that actually there's so many manual workarounds. There's spreadsheets. There's manual extraction of, of, of data from these, these uh, legacy systems. There's phone calls. There's emails. All of that happens on an industrial scale still yeah. within retail. Essentially patches. Patches, exactly. Yeah, so really what there is now, there is a multitude of really, really smart new generation technologies that can compensate for those inefficiencies with the, with the legacy systems. And retailers need to embrace that they, because, because you cannot build fast enough. And, and we're, we're sitting here, I can't believe we've gone this far in the interview without uh, mentioning AI. I mean, we are going to enter into a whole different world within months, if not years. So we are going to see all of these things accelerating. We are going to, as consumers, place much more demand on the retailer than we ever have done before. And we're pretty demanding right now, but that's going to get, that's going to get worse for the retailer. So they, the retailer needs to try and get ahead, be brave to make bold decisions about how they're going to tackle these technical requirements and embrace these new technologies and AI so that we, we, can, ha- we, can, we can imagine what the ultimate retail journey is going to look like for the, for the consumer because 
the retailers that get that right are the ones that are going to win. And how can AI now provide additional benefits? Well, at Virtual Stop, what we're doing is we are looking at the existing functionality of the platform. So it tracks and traces you know, many millions of orders and, and uh, it, it has inventory updates and things. We're challenging ourselves by saying, how can we make those inventory levels more accurate using AI? What, how, what's the historical accuracy of the inventory levels that are coming in from each of these individual suppliers? And how can we use AI to hedge and predict what they're communicating to us is accurate? And also, just the, the, the order lifecycle, the track and tracing of that, of that order, just, incre just increasing that visibility. So to your point about the communication to the customer, making that communication right for that customer, Mm. because that might differ from individual to individual and making it as rich and as, and as uh, you know, informative as possible especially when that comes down to you know, large orders a kitchen refit for example you know, someone might not be going on holiday this year because they're refitting their kitchen you, we need to care about that order and we need to make sure that that is immaculate and, we, we, and that we care about that experience as much as, as, the, as the customer does. And that's where the retailer needs to get to. And those sort of things are really going to be helped by AI. And, and do you think that in all of this, you know, the customer develops a certain, I suppose it goes through a various stages. Look, when a new piece of technology is introduced perhaps onto an online e-commerce site, there's a certain amount of curiosity and interest, first of all. I, let's say take chatbots, for example. You know, chatbots came along and they were seen as something as potentially helpful in terms of not having to make the physical call and wait in line to be, speak to an agent. But then actually then, the, you know, you use enough of chatbots and you realise actually they provide limited help and actually more often than not it takes you on a circular journey that's just fairly futile and more of a waste of time than if you'd actually bothered to make the call. Then, then there are other things. What's visible online is inaccurate to install and not just by a unit piece but by, by the, the quantum amount. From the customer's perspective, all these innovations and all these tools and all these things which are meant to reassure and make life better, to, to what extent do they deliver their promise? Or do people just get weary and think, oh, do you know what, I'll just take the Tuesday afternoon off and if it comes, it comes, and if it doesn't, I'll just phone up and complain? So I hate chatbots too. <laughs> Let's put that out <laughs> there. That, that, one, that one's put to bed. Uh, so the in-store experience, look, I mean... <laughs> A, a, a retailer, the hard bit for a retailer is getting a customer in the store. Once you've got the customer in the store, you've all your marketing and all your, all your brand and your loyalty and all of that sort of stuff has paid off. Your customer is in the store. Hooray. Now, we need to sell them something. So you need to, we need to make sure that that experience is, is as seamless and as helpful as possible. Now, as I said at the beginning of this, you know, there's two ways you can grow your business. You can add customers or you can add products. So once that, re once that customer is in the retail location, you better make sure you've got the products. So it's not good enough to have those products out of stock on, a, on an online terminal within the store. It's not. Because you may be out of stock, someone else is not going to be out of stock. There's so much choice now that the customer is not patient. And of course, the very worst thing that can be is, is that you give false reassurance to a customer. You're, yes, it's in our other branch, which is you know two, two blocks away, and yep. they turn up and, and, and get there, and it's not. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any brand affiliation there is completely killed at a stroke. Right. I think AI is a tool to help with all that, definitely. Um, it's not going to be the silver bullet. Um, there's, there's still going to be you know, systems that 
rely working together back and forth. But AI is going to enhance the customer experience. So there's no doubt about it. It's going to provide better communication. It's going to look across the supply chain and create some you know awareness that maybe humans can't see. That's that's how we see it. So AI is part of our strategy, like it is part of ads. Um, but not only externally to our customers, but internally also. How do we use AI to make sure our customer has a better experience, a customer journey? We have a customer journey 2.0 we're kicking off this year. AI is embedded in that. AI, from an experience perspective, how do we respond to our customers appropriately just by using our technology, but then take that on the outside also is looking at AI. How does AI go improve the consumer experience, to your point? And, and a lot of things that you were talking about really was really an inventory issue at the end of the day. Where is the inventory at any point in time, and how do, how do we predict based on patterns whether that outlet's going to have the inventory at that point in time. And so that's what AI is going to provide for a lot of customers is give that predictability that, you know, normally you, you go through a forecasting exercise. So AI can actually enhance that through the process of how we see it's going to be utilizing our inventory warehouse management solutions and then looking at channels, like what channels based on some AI is going to help us perform better in the future. That's how we kind of view it. And I think for me, the really exciting part of all of this is that the customer really shouldn't know anything about what's happening. They should just enjoy the benefit of it because what they're looking for is there. Improved experience, 100%. But then looking inwards to to themselves, the retailer has got all sorts of areas within their business that are inefficient. You know, we see it with supplier onboarding, supplier, you know, supplier setup uh, and product setup within the retailer's set of systems, again, because they're legacy systems, often takes a long time. So, you know, with, with Amazon, in, Amazon in the UK can set up half a million products a day very, very easily, uh, whereas a retailer, a traditional retailer, has got to go through a pretty complex process of manipulation of spreadsheets and manual keying in of supplier information to set suppliers and products up in their in their systems. It takes much, much longer. So we, we, we help and we see that with, with, uh, with retail all the time, you know, and the speed to market for a product is a, is a major win because if your product is online selling rather than stuck on spreadsheets being manually keyed into a legacy ERP system for a number of weeks, then you're going to be making more revenue so yeah. I mean that, that is and that especially is. if your product is trend reactive or weather reactive or there's some sort of urgency which is also built in around the, the customer's need on that yes. this is where AI can really play an important part can't it because it can harvest that weather data and turn that into predictive ordering forecasts etc yes. yes exactly exactly I mean some a few couple of years ago um, Amazon experimented with zero order uh, delivery. So uh, effectively, you don't have to put anything into a shopping cart. You just sit back and Amazon know what you want and they're just going to send you stuff. Now, algorithm wasn't you know, tuned you know, perfectly, so it kind, of, it kind of closed that one down because it, it generated more returns. But you can imagine them coming back with something like that, you know, just predicting what this consumer w- wants. They know when your tube of toothpaste is going to run out and all that sort of stuff. Then you know, and, and so they just order for you. I'm I'm guessing you've experienced that factor then with um, grocery shopping, where what you wanted wasn't in stock, so they sent you an alternative in a substitution, which was completely right. unrelated. Yeah. yeah, we've all had that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. How will a frictionless future deliver a better experience for everyone? I mean, clearly that's what we're all aiming for in life. You know, we want things to go smoothly and without hiccups. You know, from supply chain to shoppers, how does frictionless really make life better? 
Well, I mean, I suppose we've spoken about, you know, all of the things that, you know, where there is friction and where there is breakpoints within the supply chain, you know, that obviously will eventually be smoothed out. And, you know, those who get it, you know, really, you know, well oiled, then they're the ones that are going to, to generate the best customer experience. But I suppose there is also a human element to all of us that actually we like the process of discovery. We like the, the shopping experience. And I think probably need to be a little bit careful about being too clinical uh, about this. And, and I think that's been evidenced really yeah. by the swing back post-pandemic right. in terms of how people have returned back to store. You know, e-commerce has found perhaps its uh, median level that it was doing before with a degree of growth on there, obviously. But, you know, that, that big prediction, let's say, that was made at the start of the pandemic that once COVID had gone, that stores would be terminally wounded and there'd be this quantum switch out between physical retail sales versus e-com sales. That hasn't so far borne fruit. If anything, they, well, they, they now find a happy medium together and they live side by side. Yeah, 100%. We, we have a customer just like that, that, you know, Shady Rays that sells sunglasses and other apparel. And their their strategy going forward as we speak with them, you know, last month is to drive more brick and mortar um, storefronts. And the primary reason behind that is it's driving more online sales for them. And so as humans, you want to interact, right? And so they, they get the opportunity to interact in a small you know, mall setting with um, their product in there. And then, you know, they have a good experience there. Then they go online and they become a very long customer for them over time. So it, it's interesting, to your point, the, the post-pandemic kind of like how humans are getting back out there and interacting with, you know, more of a, a real experience pre-pandemic. So, and, but I think retailers that are smart enough, like Shady Rays, are, are adapting to that and understanding that that's another avenue. It's an investment, obviously, to do the brick and mortar and in the, the kiosk or whatever they're doing based on the, the city they're in. But it is driving online revenue for them. And once they get them hooked and sticky, they become a lifelong customer using their product. So um, it, it's I just learned that 30 days ago, and it's a really interesting strategy how they're going to be doing that going mm. forward. And it's this recognition that there is space for both. 100%. Yeah, you have to have both, I think, nowadays. You know, again, that, that's another reason why we're partnering even further is because marketplaces are great, but there's, an, there's a shopping experience within the retail store also. And so you have to have multiple channels to drive revenue. Final question, I guess I'm going to throw it open to both of you. How is automation set to drive growth potential in 2024 and beyond? I suppose to sum up some of the things that we've covered today, I mean, automation of traditional legacy systems within the retailer is absolutely critical. Range expansion online, getting that customer experience absolutely fine-tuned so that it's as immaculate as you can possibly make it. This has to be a major focus for all retailers. And so I think retailers will continue to look for efficiencies, operational improvements, automation where it makes sense. I mean, we, just to give you an idea, we have, in the UK, we have around about nearly 8,000 sort of qualified dropship suppliers on our platform. And two years ago, probably about 15% of those were connected through our API, and the rest had some kind of you know, manual input on, the, on, our, on our platform. Over the last two years, our retail clients have been pushing their suppliers to, to connect to our API They're, because they want more automation. And so now we've got 28% of those suppliers uh, fully connected. And Linworks have done a lot of that work and continue to do a lot of that work and are our preferred partner in that, in that respect. But you see, for us, that's great because it makes 
it makes the, the quality of the data and more up to date and, and better. Uh, and for the retailer, as dropship becomes much more of a strategic focus, they will continue to push their, their suppliers to automate so that the, all of the data that they get on our platform is as, is as accurate as they possibly can be. And what would be some of the reasons why people were not signing up or, or, or that you know that kind of rush to join onto the API was not as great you know what's what's been the turbo boost almost well before it's been because the the supplier may have had a volume of uh, orders that are actually manageable through a UI right. and that they can process so it didn't UI. seem necessary it didn't seem necessary uh, you know automation is, is there's a cost to the supplier usually but to, to connect their systems a lot of the time as well some of these suppliers, I mean, so we, we generalize about the word suppliers. The biggest supplier that we have in the UK is a book distributor that has six million books and is unbelievably automated, two, two million square foot warehouse, and does 60% of Amazon's books dropship. Now, we have um, also on the other end of the spectrum, we have um, you know, a guy sitting in a garden shed with a laptop and some gritting salt, and when it snows, he's very busy, and the rest of the time he's not. But he's pretty low tech. So... That, those are both suppliers. One's fully automated, and the other gritting salt guy is pretty, you know, low tech. So, pushing someone like that to automate, they may not even have a system. So it's it's quite difficult for them to do. So you do need to have, and we we would expect there will be a hybrid of, of semi-automation and, and and with some manual processes for for the long tail of, of, of smaller. But the bottom line is, whether you're big or small, everyone can benefit from a more automated operation. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, you, you, you do need those little niche suppliers. That's where the margin is, um, you know, a lot of the time. You know, and, and so, but yes, everyone benefits from more automation. There's no, there's no question about it. And for you, Rick? Yeah, I would say that, you know, SMB is a space where we, you know, excel as an organization. So to Ed's point, the, um, the gritty guy with the, in the shed with the salt, um, that, that's our customer base right there. So when they want to sell into multiple channels, not just a retailer, but other channels, um, they have to automate. They have to become more efficient. So as an entry point into our platform, we allow them to interact with those sales channels in a more efficient way. Um, and it, it's just, it's it sounds silly, but it's really basic inventory management, warehouse management, and publishing in a listing in the proper sales channel so you interact properly. So, you know, they know where inventory is at any point in time. And it's just that whole thing we've been talking about today. The whole thing theme is the customer experience. So, you know, like, you know, automation is, is a part of the, our lifeblood. And um, whether you're doing a million in revenue pounds or you're doing you know 75 million in revenue it, the, the issues are the same it's just the magnitude of the yeah, the scale yeah, yeah, yeah. and cool. so that that that's why we serve all markets from that perspective and again that's why you know ed and i and the team are you know we're having a deeper relationship because they have a really great customer base from a retail perspective we have a really good customer base from supplier perspective integrating those two uh, platforms is is going to help with that automation in 2024 for the entire customer base on both sides we've been talking retail partnerships with rick kelly cro from linworks and ed bradley ceo from virtual stock thank you so much gentlemen i enjoyed that conversation thank you thank you discover the ultimate retail power duo linworks and virtual stock linworks streamlines operations virtual stock enables risk-free growth visit linworks.com today to learn more you've been listening to the retail exchange podcast subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk 
and join the debate. Hashtag retail exchange. Thanks for listening. <laughs>